Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood. These very famous words, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Some of you are probably finishing that last stanza there in your mind because you were required to memorize this. These are the words from Robert, Pom- Robert Frost's famous poem, The Road Not Taken. Since it was published in 1916, the poem has become a, a literary classic. It is perhaps the best known poem in all of American history. And while there's much debate about the poem's meaning, its real meaning, it was not always known as the road not taken. The original title that Frost gave to it was much shorter and to the point. The original poem was entitled, Two Roads. There are only two roads. There is no third option. The traveler came to the cross and he had to make a choice. He could not travel both. There were only two roads. Now, I doubt that Frost intended it this way, but this contrast between two roads is actually a great description of the world in which we live. In this life, there are also only two roads, two options for how we will live. And the two roads are the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. These are the only two roads. There is no third option, and we cannot travel both. Well, this morning we're going to be spending some time in Psalm 1 examining these two roads. Because unlike Frost's poem, if you're familiar with it, these two roads, these real-life roads, are dramatically different. And Psalm 1 is something of uh, like a map to these two roads. And if you're anything like me, well, the first thing you do when you come to a map is you try and find that little symbol that says, you are here. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be looking at three fundamental differences between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And hopefully as you look at these differences, you'll be able to see where you are and also what you can do about it. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you, a little white or blue Bible, and I believe it's on page 254. And would you stand now in the honor of the reading of God's word? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. God, would you be gracious to us and bless us this morning? Would you make your face to shine upon us that your way might be known on this earth? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the first difference between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked is that they have different guides. The righteous and the wicked have different guides. They allow different voices to direct and shape their lives. They are led down different paths because they listen to different guides. In verse 1, we read that the righteous man is blessed. He is happy. He is joyful. And he's happy for a reason. He's happy because of something that he doesn't do. He's happy because he does not listen to the counsel of the wicked. Isn't it interesting here that this man is first described by what he is not? We learn what he is against before we learn what he is for. And I think there's a reason for that. This shows us that this man is different. He's countercultural. He he sticks out in a way. He doesn't do what everyone else is doing. He is against something. I know many people today say things like, I want to be known not by what I'm against, but what I'm for. And I understand generally what people mean by that, but many times being on the path of the righteous will require that we are against things, that we are against unrighteousness, that we are against injustice. There's an old saying that says, only dead fish float with the stream. Only dead fish float with the stream. If we are going to be walking on the path of righteousness and joy, then we will often have to go against the stream. And this is something the wicked man was unwilling to do. The the implication of this section is that the wicked man does not stand up against these things. Rather, he just goes along with them. He, He floats down the stream. And it says here that he, doesn't, that he does three things like everyone else. The first thing he does is he walks in the counsel of the wicked. Walks in the counsel of the wicked. Wicked counsel is anything that is contrary to the word of God. It's anything that seeks to challenge, to undermine, and to disregard what God has revealed in his word. And wicked counsel, it always comes with with that hiss of, did God really say? Does God really know what's best for me and my life? Well, the wicked man, he listens to the counsel of those who oppose God. And in fact, it says he does more than just listen. He walks in their counsel. He does what they say. He lets the words uh, sink into his ears and then make, and then eventually they make their way down into his heart. This man doesn't evaluate what people are saying and saying, I'm going to reject the evil and accept the good. That's not what he does. Instead, he follows headlong into whatever path these counselors advise. 
We must understand something here that I think is very important. Wicked men do not believe they are walking in the counsel of the wicked. They believe they are doing what's right. They believe they are on the path of joy. But they have been deceived. You see, wicked counsel, it's not easy to spot. Wicked counsel does not come with an alarm system that beeps every time you hear it. And people don't wear t-shirts with, with big letters that say, I am a wicked counselor, listen to me. That's not the way it works. Wicked counsel always comes in disguise. It, it's not just someone saying, don't, I want you to commit murder, or I want you to bow down to this golden idol, or I want you to have an affair. We rarely come across such obvious wicked counsel. The kind we hear is subtle, and it's often cloaked in, in half-truths without explanations. It's things like, you deserve it. Things like, you need to put yourself first, or it's normal. This is the type of wicked counsel that we hear all around us. Every single day we are being bombarded with counsel, advice, opinions, recommendations. Every day there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of ideas, beliefs, and attitudes that are waging war for the right to enter into your mind. Just think about it. Every single time you turn on the TV, every time you read the newspaper, scroll through social media, talk to a friend, counsel is being shared. And this counsel comes from a certain perspective. Everything is communicating ideas about life. They're telling you what is valuable. They're telling you what is worthwhile, what is good, what is bad. And everything that you hear is either in accordance with the word of God or it is wicked counsel. And we need to be able to discern the difference. So the first thing the wicked man does is he walks in the counsel of the wicked. The second thing that he does is he stands in the way of sinners. Now this is a little confusing. Typically when we say that we're standing in the way of something, we mean that we're blocking something or we're preventing someone from doing something. So we say, well, people were standing in my way, so I couldn't get through. But that's certainly not what's happening here. The wicked man is not blocking people from sin. In fact, he's almost doing the exact opposite. He's willfully joining in with them in their sin. You might think of this statement as saying the wicked man is following in the footsteps of sinners. He is now walking down the same path that they have advised him to go. He stands in the way of sinners. And the third thing he does is he sits in the seat of scoffers. He sits in the seat of scoffers. The wicked man has finally found a place. He's no longer walking. He's no longer standing. He is now fully seated. His position is fixed. He has now become one of the scoffers. In the Bible, the scoffer is the one who delights in hearing his own opinions. He's one who mocks and ridicules those who disagree with him. And he's one who actively recruits others to join his cause. And notice here that a progression has gone on. The wicked man has gone on a downward spiral from believing first to behaving next to finally belonging. 
He has moved from merely hearing the counsel of the wicked to actively giving it to others. He is no longer the student, but has become the master. I think it's helpful to acknowledge that this kind of progression does not happen overnight. It happens slowly, almost imperceptibly. It grows little by little each day as you listen to the voices of the wicked guides around you. But there is an alternative for us. There is a way for the righteous, but there is only one way. Look at what verse 2 says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. While the wicked are guided and shaped by the counsel of those like them, the righteous are guided by the word of God. That little term there, the law of the Lord, it's used throughout the Bible to refer to all God's teaching and instructions. So this isn't just referring to the 600 or so laws in the Old Testament. This is referring to all of God's counsel. So basically this is just another way of saying God's word, the scripture. And so we see that the righteous, the, the happy man, he delights in God's word. He, he, the voice he hears day and night is the voice of God himself. He is, his life is being shaped by the counsel of the Almighty. And so now we know not just what this man is against, but now we hear what he is for. He is against the counsel of the wicked, but he is for the word of God. And the picture that we get here is that this righteous man is so preoccupied, he's so delighting in the word of God, that the counsel of the wicked just bounces off of him. It doesn't phase him. There's no room in his heart for it because he is so delighted in God's word. So as we consider these two roads, I want to just ask you now, which one are you on currently? Who is guiding your life? Who have you allowed to speak counsel into your ears? Are you delighting in the word of the Lord or are you listening to wicked counselor? So the first difference is a difference in guides. The second difference is a difference in results. The righteous and the wicked have different results. The choices which the righteous and the wicked make each day have very different effects on their lives. They are led down different paths because their lives result in different Things. First here we see the righteous described in verse 3. It says this, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So here is a picture, it's a beautiful picture, of the blessed life. As the righteous man delights and meditates on the word of the Lord day and night, his life shows the results of that meditation. And these results here are described in four ways. First, the righteous man is stable. He's said to be like a tree. He's secure. He's steadfast. His life is not persistently hounded by dissatisfaction. He's not constantly looking for the next thing to make him happy. He experiences a kind of peace. He's not filled with fear of what may come. He is grounded like a tree. I think it's helpful to remember that the author of this psalm, 
He almost certainly lived in a dry, desert-like climate, and he knew firsthand what could happen to trees in that kind of environment. If they did not have consistent source of water, they would quickly wither and die. And so the author adds that this tree is planted by streams of water. And just as the tree daily soaks up nourishment from the Lord, so also the point here is that the righteous man daily soaks up nourishment from the word of God. And it makes him stable. But it also makes him fruitful. The righteous man yields fruit in its season. As he delights in the law of the Lord, his life brings about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that, that characterize the righteous man's life. And just as no tree bears fruit for itself, so also the righteous man here, the fruit that comes out of his life is not just for himself either, but is a blessing to others. The, the fruitfulness is a benefit to those who are around him. Thirdly, he is durable. The leaves of the tree do not wither. The righteous man endures through all kinds of difficulties. His daily times in the word remind him of God's truth even when he's struggling to see it, when he's struggling to believe it. The righteous man continues in the faith and he is not destroyed by the scorching heat of the world. He remains true to the Lord till the end. And then finally, the righteous man is prosperous. In all that he does, he prospers. He listens and obeys God. And the end result is that he succeeds in life. Now, just to be clear here, this does not mean that if you read the Bible, that God will bless your business, adventure, your business venture, that you will start to make all sorts of money. This does not mean that God will give you an A on the test if you memorize some portion of Scripture. That's not what this is saying. This is saying that it is God who made the world. God made the world that we live in today. And he knows the best way for us to live. He knows what leads to human flourishing. And the righteous man, he experiences this kind of flourishing because he orders his life around the creator of the world. He orders his life around what God has said. So the effects of the righteous man's life are clearly seen and they show him that he is on the path of the blessed but this is not so with the wicked the contrast here we see in verse four the wicked men the wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away here now is a picture of the wasted life it says the wicked are not so they are not blessed they are not delighted by the law of the lord they do not meditate on it day and night. They are not stable, not fruitful, not durable, not prosperous. Rather, they are like chaff that is blown away by the wind. In that time period, when a farmer needed to harvest grain, he would go to a threshing floor. We don't really know what that is very much today, so I put up a picture here of a threshing floor. And what would happen is the farmer would lay out all his grain around in a circle there, and then he would tie up that like sled thing to an ox, and then he would, he would get on the back of it, and the ox would, would tread down the grain. 
And what would happen is, as the ox did that, it would separate the grain from the husks. And then the farmer, he would take a pitchfork. Um, in the Bible, this is called a winnowing fork. And he would put the pitchfork into the pile and he would toss up the grain into the air. The edible, heavier grain would then fall down to the ground so that he could collect it, store it, uh, benefit from it. But the chaff, because it was so light, it would just blow away by the wind. And that, that is the picture that we are given of the way of the wicked. A life lived in rebellion to God will bring about nothing of eternal value. In the end, it will all be blown away with the wind. So let me ask you again this morning, where are you on these two roads? What does your life produce? Are you bringing about things of eternal value? Or will all that you do end up like chaff? Well, the third and final difference between the righteous and the wicked is that they are going to different destinations. The righteous and the wicked have spent their lives traveling down different paths, and so it should come as no surprise to us that they ultimately and finally arrive at different destinations. Look at what verse 5 says. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Because the wicked have lived like chaff on the last day, they will not stand in the judgment. Now that doesn't mean that they will avoid judgment. It means that they will not stand up under the judgment. They, they will not pass the test. God's perfect and righteous law will crush them. And just as the righteous would not stand with sinners in life, so now in the judgment, the wicked will not stand with the righteous. The two will finally and forever be separated. And there will be no mistakes here. God is a perfect judge. No one will end up where they do not belong. And there's a reason for that. Because God knows his own. He knows his children by name. He speaks to them in his word. He keeps watch over their steps. He listens to their prayers. He guides them by his spirit. He knows them. And that's what verse 6 says. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God will bring the righteous home at last, and he will cause their way to be remembered and preserved. But the wicked man and all their ways will perish. Theologian D.A. Carson, commenting about this verse, he says this, 50 billion years from now, no one will be writing learned dispositions on the significance of Adolf Hitler or Pol Pot. But every cup of water given in the name of the Lord Jesus will still be celebrated because the Lord knows not just the righteous themselves, but also their way. Psalm 1 began with the word blessed, and now it ends with the word perish. Psalm 1 is an invitation to joy, and it is also a warning of destruction. And this is the choice before each one of us, because again, there are only two roads, and you cannot travel both. But the good news is, there is someone who can. There is someone who has. 
Jesus Christ is the only truly righteous man to ever walk on this earth. He is the blessed man who has always turned away from the counsel of the wicked. The law of the Lord was continually his delight. He took no days off from meditating on God's word day and night. He was in the fullest sense like a tree planted by streams of water. Jesus is the only one who has ever really walked in the way of the righteous. And yet on the cross, Jesus also experienced the destination of the wicked. God counted our sins against him and he endured the wrath and the judgment of God that we deserve. Jesus was separated from the righteous one and after crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He perished. Jesus is the only one who knows both roads. He is the blessed man who perished. He is the righteous man who died the wicked man's death. And he is the only way that anyone here will be saved. You see, the way of the righteous is not about following certain rules. It's not about adhering to a certain set of beliefs. It's not about doing a certain number of good things. The way of the righteous is a person. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If today, after examining your life, you have found yourself on the road of the wicked, then I encourage you at this moment to turn from your way and to embrace Jesus by faith. Ask him to forgive you of your wickedness and trust in his righteousness alone. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. What if today was the day you looked back on in eternity and said, I shall be telling this this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning that you have provided a way. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his willingness to walk down both roads for us so that we could be brought back into fellowship with you. We pray all of this in Christ's name.